I come to the river at ending of day when the last winds of sorrow have blown there'll be somebody waiting to show me the way I won't have to cross Jordan alone I won't have to cross Jordan alone Jesus died for my sins to atone in the darkness I see he'll be waiting for me I won't have to cross Jordan alone though the billows of trouble and sorrow may sweep Christ the Savior will care for his own till the end of the journey my soul he will keep I won't have to cross Jordan alone I won't have to cross Jordan alone Jesus died for my sins to atone in the darkness I see he'll be waiting for me I won't have to cross Jordan alone that's a wonderful thing we won't have to do it well let's take our Bibles turn to the book of Jonah that's a tough one to find it's tucked away in those minor prophets those useless little guys. They're so minor. <laughs> you guys are not awake, are you? Just because we call them minor prophets doesn't, that doesn't mean they're less valuable. What it means is that they don't write as much. They're smaller books. Jonah, I know you're just so enthralled in trying to find it. You're focused. You're looking at the index in the beginning or whatever that's called. The, I don't blame you. It's fine. If you find Obadiah, just turn the page, you'll be in Jonah. That helped, I'm sure. <laughs> All right, Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Let's read the verse 6 verses together. I'll read aloud, you read silently, would you please? Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, 
What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. Jonah is considered one of the most controversial books in the Bible. Very controversial. Critics of Christianity have long since sought to discredit the Word of God and discredit the reality of God based on this account. They seek to you know, analogize it, to, to somehow make it a story of sorts, not to take it literally as God meant it to be taken. They dismiss it as a very quaint and simple little story. But Jesus himself confirmed the reality of this account when he spoke of it during his earthly ministry. He literally brought it up. He discussed it. He dealt with it. One Muslim critic seeks to prove that Christianity is the greatest hoax of all time by referring to Jonah, this account of Jonah, um, that Jesus used in Matthew. And there in Matthew, it says, For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale, whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. This particular critic, he tries to point out that, Jesus, uh, that Jonah was alive, but Jesus was dead. That's something. He tries to take it and he rests the scriptures. He, he manipulates the scriptures. And in reality, we know that the scriptures clearly state that Jesus was alive in the heart of the earth, that he was leading captivity captive. He wasn't dead as we understand it. His body was lifeless, but he himself was very much alive. And then he comes back, of course, in a resurrected body, a literal body, to live forever. Our Christ lives today. The Word of God is of no private interpretation, and critics may come and go, but Jesus Christ, the Creator of all the universe, is everlasting. In our passage, we notice a couple things here. Number one, we notice a clear call. In verse 1 and 2, of course, we we notice that Jonah received this call. And God says to him, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. There's no doubt that God himself had called Jonah. It was very clear. It was very distinct, very simple. Jonah had no excuse whatsoever. He couldn't say, well, I didn't understand. I didn't know. I wasn't aware. I I just couldn't grasp it. I couldn't reel it in. No, he knew exactly what had transpired and taken place. God's call on his life was as clear as the day is to us. Not only do we see a clear call, but we note a crooked course. I mean, there all of a sudden in verse 3, the Bible tells us, But Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa as he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he ends up paying the fare, it says, thereof, and went down into it. And the Bible tells us that he goes down into it unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He's traveling a very crooked course now. God had intended that he go from A to B, but yet now he wants to create a whole new pathway. He's going to go all over the place. Jonah is believed to have been born in a city called Gethhefer, just five miles from Nazareth itself. He's called by God, of course, to go east to Nineveh. So if he's going to go from his hometown or where he lives uh, to this particular city, Nineveh, he must go east. And God intended him to go east. But instead he heads southwest to Joppa, then across the Mediterranean Sea to Tarshish. It's, of course, believed that Tarshish is in Spain. 
So that means that now he's headed west to Joppa. He's going the direct opposite from where God had intended him to go. He's going down and he's going opposite, down and away. And then he heads on over to Spain, truly trying to, to escape God's calling in his life. Every step of Jonah's journey, every single step of that journey, from the moment that he was called of God and he left the presence of God, was downward. When you and I rebel and we disobey God, you and I are equally headed downward. Not only do we see a clear call and a crooked course, but we see a certain consequence. In verse 4, the Bible tells us, But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. There's some consequences to this sin. He's on this ship headed to Tarshish. And all of a sudden, this great wind comes along. The ship is in danger now. The lives of all the men are endangered. The consequences are certain, without a doubt. When we disobey God, when we choose to go our own direction and and leave the very presence of God, then we are guaranteed consequences in our life. We see a clear call, a crooked course, a certain consequence. We see a concerned crew. Verse 5, the very beginning of it, it says, Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. Man, I mean, these guys were concerned, obviously, and you can understand why. They're in the midst of the sea. They have nowhere else to turn. And they are there in the midst of a great storm. And the ship itself is being bent and broken. And they're fearful for their very lives. They're praying to their gods. Man, I tell you, if you've got a God that you believe in, if you've got a God that you serve, if you've got a God that you make any allegiance to, then you get on your knees and you pray now because our very lives are at stake. They began to pray to their gods for deliverance. In a desperate attempt to lighten the ship, they begin tossing over anything that isn't nailed down. If we can just lighten the load, maybe the ship will not be so, uh, it will be more buoyant. Maybe it will be able to deal with the wind. Maybe we'll be able to outlast the storm. A clear call, a crooked course, a certain consequence, a concerned crew. But also we notice in verse 5, a content character. A content character. The Bible tells us there, the second part of verse 5, but Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. Isn't that something? This concerned crew is losing their mind uh, trying to save the ship and save their lives. And yet here we have Jonah who's gone down into the bows of the ship and there he lay resting and relaxing, content. Asleep even, the Bible tells us. And finally, we see a confused captain. (laughs) He can't figure it out. He doesn't understand it in verse 6. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be God will think upon us that we perish not. How can you possibly sleep at a time like this? Call upon your God, just maybe he'll save us. Are you kidding me? How can you sleep right now? Our lives are endangered. The ship is to be wrecked and ruined. We are going to be lost at sea. Do you have a God? Cry out to Him. 
one of the great accounts in all the Bible. Today I want to share just three simple lessons that we can learn from the passage this morning. As we face our lives each day and as we face missions in the future. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this opportunity that we have to gather today. Thank you for the simplicity of your word. Help us, Lord, to learn from it, to grow from it, to be encouraged by it. Lord, uh, may you speak to each of our hearts. May we be truly inspired to, Father, be involved in reaching men and women, boys and girls, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, if there be any here that have yet to receive and accept you, may they do so even this morning. May they not leave here with doubts or concerns. May they leave here confident and content in their walk and relationship with you, knowing that heaven will be their home one day and that all is right between their soul and the Savior. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So just three simple lessons that we can learn from the passage this morning. Number one, when we run from God, we are always headed down. That's obvious, isn't it? Pretty simple. I want you to look at verse 3 real quick. Again, the Bible says, But Jonah rose up to flee from the Tarshish, uh, unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. Notice, went down to Joppa. His direction was downward. Look at verse 5, if you would. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. Uh, but Jonah was gone, what? Down into the sides of the ship. Listen, when we run from God, and that's exactly what he did, he ran from God. I mean, the Bible's pretty clear about that. The Bible tells us in verse 3 that he, 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 to Tarshish, he says, he went unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He left the very presence of God. That's a pretty serious problem, to leave the presence of God. To hear the voice of God, to know the will of God, and yet to leave the presence of God. And somebody says, well, I, I, unfortunately, I've never been told to do something like he was told to do. You'd be surprised. You'd be amazed, really, what God has called us to do. You might be uh, really surprised if we read the Word of God and studied the Word of God. Some of the things God expects of us, demands of us, requires of us. It's not like God's standing in the heavens with a bat and He's going to beat us over the head. That's not the issue. But the fact is today is that the very presence of God is dependent upon our obedience and willingness to remain in it. The Bible tells us if we'll draw nigh to Him, He'll draw nigh to us. The fact is today is that you might want to envision Christ sitting in this chair today. And the fact is, is that as long as I draw nigh to Him, He is nigh to me. The very moment that I leave His very presence, I am no longer nigh to God. And He's no longer nigh to me. Listen, I don't have a God that moves. He does not get off His throne to come join me. I must join Him. I think about that situation over there in the book of... of, of um, see, Deuteronomy... Uh, Joshua. In the book of Joshua, when we see the people of God preparing to go into the promised land, and then Joshua sees this captain of the Lord's host, and he looks at this man of war, and he looks at him and he says to him, whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? And the guy just looks at him and says, what are you talking about? I'm the captain of the Lord's host. What he's saying is, is I'm on nobody's side. The fact is, the question you've got to ask yourself, are you on my side? And the truth is today, is that's, that's the question you've got to ask yourself. Whose side are you on? Listen, you don't get God on your side. You get on God's side. And the truth is today is that we have a God who is fixed. There He is. He's seated in the heavenlies. And if you want to be close to God, guess what? That's your decision. Nobody makes that for you. And you can't blame anybody if you're not close to God. Because God says if you'll draw nigh to Him, He'll be nigh to you. 
That's our decision. And you know what? Jonah made a decision that day. Jonah decided to flee from the presence of God. And that is a decision that, unfortunately, I have made in my life at times. And that may be a decision you have made in your life at times. But may I say that never turns out the way it ought to. Because the truth is, whenever we run from God, we are always headed down. It wasn't that, it was a number of years ago, but uh, it was on a 4th of July uh, uh, evening. And uh, I think it was actually the night before, of course, when they fire all the fireworks and so forth. And uh, it might have been the very day, I'm not sure. But in our neighborhood, they just fire fireworks for about a week. And I, I'm not really, I don't have a problem with that. But boy, in the day when I had a dog by the name of Nikki, Nikki bothered, it bothered her bad. Nikki couldn't stand fireworks. Nikki was one of those real, you know, kind of jittery dogs, you know. I mean, she, she, was, she was kind of a weird dog, really. But anyway, uh, Nikki, she was, she was all right. But, uh, you know, Nikki was just crazy. You couldn't keep Nikki in a pen. You couldn't keep Nikki on a leash. You couldn't keep Nikki in a garage. She would claw through, right through the wall. I mean, it was just a crazy dog. We had a nut dog for, you know, kind of fit the family profile. So anyway, the fact is, is that this dog was crazy. And, and the truth is, is that on this night, when those fireworks went off, Nikki, I mean, she needed a, a real dose of some kind of antidepressant or anti-something because she was freaking out. Man, the door kicked open at one point and boom, out the door she took off. She just flew out the door that night. And I still remember going, Nikki! And, and you know, my... I did. I went, Nikki. <laughs> and so out the door I went. And then I was like, Nikki, get back here. Nikki, come back here. Nikki's just freaking out. I mean, she's going rrr, 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 all over the place. Then fireworks are going off every time a big bang in the sky. And then what scared me was that she started taking off toward the main street. Now, our street leads to a street called 619. And 619's got quite a few uh, fast-moving cars. And so the traffic moves quickly. And she took off toward that street. It was in the midst of the night. So I knew people weren't going to see her too well. And so I'm yelling at Nikki, Nikki, come here. Nikki stops. She'd look at me. And then one of those things, boom, boom, she'd take off again. She flew right on down the street, right on down the road. And I lost Nikki. Couldn't find her. You know, the truth is, is that Nikki was running away from me. And the reality was I was the only one that could really help her. Do you want to know that that's what happens to us sometimes? You know, in the midst of life, in the midst of all the turmoil, and in the midst of all the troubles that we find in life, or even in the joys of life, we get distracted by those things that are going on around us, and God's crying out to us, calling unto us, and we won't go to Him. Instead, we run from Him, and yet He's the only one that can truly help. When we run from God, we are always headed down. Number two, when we run from God, we'll always find ourselves in the midst of the storm and ultimately in the belly of the whale. In the book of uh, uh, Jonah again, verse four, the Bible says, but the Lord sent a great wind and there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. Verse 17, we read also that now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Notice he prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And the Bible says, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That's something. Listen, I'm confident and I believe with all my heart that literally he was in the belly of a great fish. Later in the Bible calls it a whale. I believe that. Somebody says that's, that's impossible. That's medically impossible. It's practically impossible. And I'd say I agree 100%. But it is not anything less than what God could do. God does miracles all the time. So nonetheless, we find here that this particular direction, when we run from God, always leads us into the midst of a storm and ultimately into the belly of a whale. 
Hebrews 12, 6 and 7 says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If he endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? If you truly are a child of God today and you are running from the presence of God, you are rebelling against the authority of Scripture, let me tell you something, God is obligated as your Father to chasten you. He's to correct you. And again, you know, we can't escape that correction. You cannot escape that correction if you are in a rebellious spirit and a rebellious heart. The only way to escape correction is to repent and get right on track. Children in rebellion hope that they can avoid the correction of their parents so that they can continue to sin. And that's exactly why we do it. We want to avoid that correction. We don't want anything bad in our life. We don't want to feel the, the pain of, of correction in our life either. Man, listen, it brings, it's not always pleasant. You know, I always like the, you know, that thing, you know, you tell your kid, you know, bend over, you know, go ahead, put your hands over here, get across the couch, and the son, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. Uh-uh. No, I can honestly tell you, it never hurt me as much as it hurt them. I can honestly tell you that. So he says, yeah, but inside. I'm not talking about that. Let's just feel the other side. <laughs> Listen, it always hurts them more than it hurts me. I guarantee you that. Let me tell you something. When you're going through chastening, there's nothing pleasant about it. But if you're a child of God, you ought to thank God for that. You shouldn't be so upset about it. You should be thankful that it's just proof positive that you are indeed the child of God, first of all. And the very thing that a child needs to ensure future success and blessing in their lives is a good dose of correction. And you know what? The fact is, is that for a child, their character is molded by the consistent correction of a parent. If you'll be consistent in correcting your children, it will mold their character. They learn that sin has consequences and that the immediate pleasure derived from rebellion quickly fades and it's replaced by a memorable and lasting scar. And let me tell you something that is true with you and I. It's true with our relationship with God. When we fail to receive correction, one, it says we're not his child. And two, if it was the case, if we don't receive that, instru- that instruction, that correction, then truly we'll never grow up to be what we ought to be for Christ. Builds us Christian character. You know what? We always end up in a bad spot when we run from God. So the next time, though, you think, did you have it so bad with God around? I want you just to kind of imagine what it would be like without Him around. To do that. So we see when we run from God, we're always headed down. Number two, when we run from God, we'll always find ourselves in the midst of of the storm and ultimately in the belly of a whale. And number three, when we run from God, we will always find it easy to sleep while the world perishes. When we run from God, we'll always we'll find it easy to sleep while the world perishes. You know, when we run from God, our perdition, our sins, our possessions, our pleasures, our plans take precedence over the world that's lost and perishing. That's just a reality When we become self-absorbed and selfish, our world's about as big as our bellies and our desires. That's as big as it gets. All we can see, all we can feel, is what we see and what we feel. There isn't anyone or anything more important than us when we're running from God. And the world can just simply go to hell as long as we're comfortable and all is well with our souls. I think it's interesting that here is a man by the name of Jonah, supposedly a man of God. We'll call him, instead of a prophet, we just might want to call him a preacher today. And here he is asleep in a ship that's in the midst of a storm, 
and perishing. And the fact is, is that that storm is a direct result of his disobedience even. Every one of those lives that's endangered is endangered because of his rebellion, because of his sin, because of his act of, of perdition. And yet we find this man content and asleep in the belly of that ship. And that's something. Maybe that's why he was three days and three nights in a belly of a whale. I don't know. The captain of the ship admonishes Jonah. Verse 6, he says, What meanest thou, O sleeper? What are you doing? We're perishing here. We're dying here. And what's the next word that he uses? Arise. Arise. It's interesting. We see that over in the book of Mark as well, as our Savior gives us a tremendous example and a very uh, interesting passage in verse, uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 37 through 39. Listen very closely as I read from the Word of God. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. So we have a situation that sounds very similar to Jonah's, do we not? I mean, we have a, a, a storm that's raging. We have a ship that's sinking. We have a people now that we're going to find are very concerned for their very lives. Notice, and they awake him, talking about the disciples now, Jesus Christ on the boat, along with them. He's in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, while they're frantically running about, trying to save the ship and save their lives. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Does that not sound exactly like the story we've just read? But I want you to notice something here in the passage. The Bible says then, and he arose. He arose. And he rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. The response that Jesus Christ had was to immediately arise. The response that he had was to immediately do something that would make an impact and a difference that would somehow save the lives of those men, if you will, or put to rest their fears. But no, not Jonah's case. No, he's in, the be- he's in a ship. He's fast asleep. He's in rebellion. He's in disobedience to God. And when he's cried out, the captain says, Arise! 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 And Jonah says, Well, what do you expect me to do? Isn't that the response of any backslidden Christian today? There's souls perishing. There's men dying. There's a world going to hell in a handbasket. What do you expect me to do about it? Arise, awake now. Do something. Step up to the plate. Be faithful in soul winning. Reach people with the gospel. Give the faith promise. You don't really expect me to do that. I mean, I'm nobody. I can't do nothing about it. Isn't that something? Two distinct different responses, one by our master of the Lord Jesus Christ and the other by a backslidden Christian. See, while we sleep, they perish. Arise, awake out of your slumber, die to self and crucify that sinful flesh of yours. Don't allow yourself to be consumed with the world and its possessions. Don't permit your plans to trump God's calling in your life. Don't be consumed with temporal pleasures. Arise! Awake! Why? Because while we sleep, they perish. While we're consumed with our cars and our homes and our lives, they're dying and going to hell in every country in this world. They're dying and going to hell in our neighborhoods. They're dying and going to hell in our communities, in our counties, in our 
country today. They're dying and going to hell around the world. And while we sleep, they perish. Because we're so caught up in ourselves and we're so caught up in our things and we're so caught up in our sin and our pleasure because we have plans. Who cares what God's called us to do? Who cares what God wants for our church? Who cares what God wants for our family? Who cares what God wants? I know what I want. And that's exactly what happened with Jonah. While he slept, they perished. And while we sleep, they perish. The reality is today is that there are people dying and going to hell all around each one of us. Sometimes it's just easier to give a few dollars, let's be honest. In reality, that can pacify the conscience much and often. But in reality, that's not God's solution. God wants each of us to be very, very involved in this process and in this calling. Each one of us to give our best to Jesus Christ. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. 1 Peter 3.15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an account to every man that asketh you the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. See, while we sleep, they perish. While we relax in our comforts and our eases, while we watch our football games and play our fantasy leagues, while we get tied up and wound up in our work and our Worship even. It's often flesh-driven. They perish. While we sleep, they perish. Has anything lulled you to sleep? I know I've been lulled to sleep. I know that from time to time I just have to try to be awakened because I get caught up in this life. I get caught up in providing. I get caught up in possessing. I get caught up in doing and having and all the things that go on in this world. Sometimes we just need the Lord Jesus Christ and the person of the Holy Spirit to come along and say, Arise, awake! While you sleep, they perish. A man came home late one night after working the evening shift and he went to the refrigerator, he got something to eat and he took it to his room and he turned on the television and there he finished his food and he kicked back in bed watching TV and as the night wore on he became increasingly tired, he ultimately fell asleep. Of course that doesn't seem like a bad thing, sounds like a good thing, but it wasn't a good thing that night because while he was falling asleep he still was in the middle of a cigarette. And it slipped from his hand and it fell onto the carpet. There it began to smolder and ultimately a fire started. The man was by nature a very sound sleeper. And that would be, that would prove to be very fatal that night. Because the fire spread quickly across the room and before he even woke up, the smoke had filled his lungs and the flames had consumed him in death had overwhelmed him. You know, the world 
is a much like this man who's asleep and in the fire. Don't even know, aren't even aware of it. They don't realize that there's a consequence for their sin and rebellion against God. Oh, they'd say, well, I'm not rebelling against God. I, 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 they don't understand that the, the fact is, is that the, to not make a choice on behalf of Christ is to make a choice against Christ. But, but I didn't choose not to, to, to love the Lord. I didn't choose not to have him, but you didn't choose to have him. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open, his, open the door, he, he goes on to say that I will come in to him and sup with him and he with me. There's, a, there's an answer. We must answer the door. When God knocks at our heart's door, we must open the heart's door. We must allow Christ in. We must permit him to take leadership in our life and sit on the throne of our life. But the world is like this man. They're asleep and they're perishing. But many times we're like that too. We're asleep and the world is perishing around us. Has anything lulled you to sleep lately? Because while we sleep, they perish. I trust that this week, as we move into our missions conference, you'll begin to pray and ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything in my life that keeps me from being the testimony, the witness that ought to be, the the child of God ought to be? Is there anything that keeps me from having a testimony that I can share it with others, that I can be a a light in a dark world? Is there anything that would keep me from going and talking to my neighbor or talking to a friend or talking to a co-worker? Lord, what has caused me not to have a heart and a burden for those that are perishing around me? How can I live my life and feel good about myself and about my family and about my accomplishments when all around me people are dying and going to hell? Lord, what about me is wrong as a child of God? What has lulled me to sleep? Because while I sleep, they perish. Let's begin to ask the Lord to reveal those things to us. And then as we have them revealed to us, may we not run from him. May we draw nigh to him in obedience and allow him to change our life and ultimately change the course of history by reaching others with a gospel that's an eternal gospel. God, help us to awake because while we sleep, they perish. Father, today we come to you.